Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Pastor Zach Neese. I want to thank you guys. You have, you have loved me and my family so much, the, the elders and the staff and the worship team. I love you guys. So many of the families, Rick and Ducey, we stayed at your place, and the Glathers, we drove your cars, and we ate your food, and we came to your houses, and we hung out with you guys, and some of you we didn't have time to uh, come and spend time with, but I just want you to know that, uh, that our hearts have been deeply touched by you guys. And I really do love this place. And if you don't like me, good news is, come back next week. I won't be here, okay? (laughs) Do we have any readers in the house? I only brought one book with me. I mean, you got to promise to read it. Like, this is not for your coffee cup to sit on, right? This took me like a decade. Who's a reader? Okay, this lady right here. You first, yeah. The guy who's pointing at you. Here you go. You're so welcome. So I, the reason I didn't bring a bunch of those because I didn't come here to, to sell books, but that is, it's How to Worship a King. You can find it online if you want to. There's also the audio, and there's also a video teaching series if you want it for a small group. I'm just telling you that because I want to, if you, if you want to be equipped and if you want a resource, that's there. But like I said, I didn't come here to do that. I came here to, to, to love on you guys and to share Jesus with you. So um, let's pray for a moment because I need God's help. Lord, I need your help. We need your help. Right now, we submit ourselves to you. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you speak. Thank you that you come. Thank you for your presence. And Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to love what you love, minds to understand, and we submit ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, hover over this house like you hovered over the waters of creation and birth life. And I pray for myself that you would give me eloquence of speech and clarity of thought because I cannot do anything good without you. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I wrote three sermons this week. This is part of my problem. I wrote one sermon, and I was like, ah, oh, that's good. And then I was like, oh, that's not it. So I went back and I wrote another sermon. Score, that one's amazing. No, that's not it. In the, in the middle of the night, God woke me up. And I just had like this feeling, you know, you get kind of this itch, it, like, I, what's going on? What's the problem? And I was like, all right, God, what do you want? What do you want me to talk about? And he goes, just tell him about Jesus. I was like, what about these other two sermons? <laughs> just tell him about Jesus. Okay, so we're going to talk about Jesus. He smells like Christmas. In my opinion... I've been studying the word and revivals and church history for 25 years and worship specifically for 20 years. I've taught it in over 20 countries to worship leaders all over the world. In my opinion, Jesus Christ is the greatest worship leader who ever lived. And he never played, to our knowledge, a single note on an instrument. How's that possible? He's the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That means all this stuff we've been talking about, the priesthood, walking around with a hand in the hand of God and a hand in the hand of humanity of earth. That's Jesus Christ. He existed to do that before he made time. Do you know that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of? Do you know what Judah means? Woo! Judah comes from the Hebrew word yad, which means hand. 
The word for praise, one of the words for praise in the Bible is the word yada. It means the upraised hand. It literally means to throw handfuls of praise up into the sky at the Lord, to cast your praises up to the Lord. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of the upraised hand. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Everything he did while he was on this earth brought glory and praise and honor to his father. Everything he did, he was stretching his hand up. He was stretching his hand out towards us, constantly uniting the two. And through the cross, he did the ultimate. At the foot of the cross, he brought us to the throne of God. And he never played, to our knowledge, a single note on a pipe or a guitar or a piano. But he's the greatest worship leader who ever lived. How is that possible? Because worship is not primarily about music. You don't have to be a musician. This is what I've been trying to tell you. Listen, I'm wrapping this up. For seven weeks, if you haven't gotten this through your head yet, that you have been following the greatest worship leader who ever lived because he wants to make you a worship leader, because he has put you on this earth to connect these two, that you can be a worship leader without playing a single note. All you have to do is be a person of outstretched hand who loves in both directions. That's it, right? So this is what Jesus did. Jesus reconciled us to intimate relationship with God. That's what he did. And we're going to talk about this mega theme today. I love mega themes. If you see a mega theme in the Bible, we talked about the mega theme of the priesthood. It runs all the way through the Bible. And unless you understand priesthood, you're probably not reading the Bible yet. We talked about the mega theme of worship. It runs all the way through the Bible. And unless you see the word through the scripture of worship, you're probably not reading the word yet. There's something huge you're missing. Now we're going to talk about this mega theme of intimacy. How many of you know that intimacy is inherently potent? You got any parents in the house? Come on, raise your hand if you're a parent. Intimacy is inherently potent. What that means, intimacy is powerful. It's so powerful that without any effort whatsoever, it can bring forth life. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, there's an entire industry devoted to stopping that. How do I know that? Because I have six children. If you, if you have a big family, you're probably worn out with people coming up to you and asking you stupid questions like, you know how that happens, don't you? <laughs> you do know what's doing that. Yes, would you like a uh, lesson? Apparently you're not good at it because you only have... <laughs> you don't want to ask me that question. <laughs> You don't want to ask me that question. In fact, Jennifer and I had such a hard time not having kids that we thought about naming them after the types of birth control that didn't work. (laughs) IUD, get your hands off your sister and go to your room. (laughs) It's your turn to do the dishes, the pill. (laughs) Don't let your mind run too much. But this is how God created us. He created us to be intimate and Out of that intimacy, if everything's healthy and everything's working properly, life, right? Uh, By the way, the fruit of the Spirit works the same way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. If I'm having a difficult time bearing the fruit of the Spirit, we have a culture that thinks we're victimized by everything. If I don't love, it's because you did. If I'm angry, it's because you 
You triggered me. Brother, maybe the problem is you're loaded. Maybe you need to drop the magazine, rack the slide, and get the bullets out of your gun. Then people trigger and you won't bother you anymore. You know what the problem is? The problem is not the other person. The problem is that I have an intimacy issue with God. And I cannot bear the fruit of the Spirit without being in intimacy with God. Intimacy bears fruit. I hope that didn't offend you unless you need to be offended. (laughs) I would love to go on a Christian campaign where we all just broke off our triggers. And we just, we're not going to be triggered anymore. Because we have the Holy Spirit. We have intimacy with God, and he helps us to love unlovable things. The way he taught me to do it is by loving unlovable me. Understand? Now, Jesus says it like this. Abide in me, and I in you. That word abide, in the Passion Version, it's remain in life union with me. That's intimacy. Remain in life union with me and I'll remain in life union with you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, you never saw a branch cut off from an apple tree laying on the ground popping apples out. Impossibility. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Peace, patience, joy, love, kindness, long-suffering, self-control. Do you have a problem with self-control? I Somebody drove by me and rolled down the window all the way to make sure they got the bird flipped at me this week. It took all of the intimacy with God I had to just wave. I see your one finger. I'll give you four more. <laughs> I am the vine. How, by the way, how can Alaskans only have two roads and be such bad drivers? Did that hurt? Did that, was, that, was that too? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I do like that there are no billboards. But what would you advertise? (laughs) I'm joking. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. (laughs) He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Because your power is in your intimacy. What a great gift that we have a Savior who would come and restore intimacy with us so that he could restore the power of life to us. Here's the translation. You were designed to function in intimacy with God. You need him. You need intimacy with God. Now, this is what I want to do. I want to go back. You guys by now have figured out that I'm a complete word geek, right? If I can go back into Hebrew and look at something, or if I can go back into Greek, I'm going to do it. Because the English translation screws it up so much all the time. And there's so much meat left on the bone. So I always want to go back to Hebrew if I'm in the Old Testament, just to see, God, what were you really talking about? Because a lot of times we don't get everything. So I want to bring you back to the very beginning of the Word of God and tell you what God was talking about. Anybody ready for a trip? Yeah? Okay, now these are the scriptures that we don't often read because they're the ones on the felt boards in church and they're like the children's book scriptures. And so we don't read the Genesis 
account very often, do we? When was the last time you read Genesis 1? Well, let's do it. You got I want you to see this is what I want you to see. Put these lenses on. Intimacy is at the very heart of creation. Okay? Watch this. Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, um, just aside, story time. I don't know if you know this, but half my family's Asian. I have two biological brothers, and I have two Chinese sisters. They were my parents adopted them from China. I love them all very much. My, one of my brothers, who's biological, married a Japanese woman. So half of my sibs and sib-in-laws are Asian. We have a, a mixed, a mixed, awesomely mixed family. So when my brother first married his wife, Sako, she was from Japan, and her parents are from Japan. Less than 1% of the population of Japan are saved. Very hard to get saved, very hard to find a church. So we started praying for their family. She was the first person to ever be saved in the generations of her family, the very first So we started praying for her mom and dad to get saved. And we didn't even know how that was going to happen because there are barely any churches there. So we're praying for them, and something miraculous happened. Both her mom and her dad got saved apart from each other, and they didn't know how to tell the other, so they were both sneaking out and going to separate churches. (laughs) And they caught each other. And they're like, you're saved, I'm saved. We're saved. (laughs) Let me tell you, how my brother's father-in-law got saved. He read Genesis 1-1 for months. He was just fascinated. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He read it over and over. In the beginning, God. He was so fascinated, and I don't even know how it happened, but the power of the Holy Spirit worked through that verse, and he believed the entire gospel and gave his life to Jesus Christ through Genesis 1-1. If you're not reading the word, do you realize how much power you're leaving on the table? If you're not reading the word, this guy got saved by reading the first verse over and over again. He didn't even get to verse two. Now, this is what this means. In the beginning, God. The word God in Hebrew is Elohim. Im is a plural. You remember me talking about the, uh, the word face in Hebrew is panim, faces. So when you're looking at someone's face, when you're pursuing their face, the face of God, you're pursuing the faces, the facets. That's how he's so fascinating. He's infinitely faceted, right? Well, the word God is actually plural here. It's God's. In the beginning, Elohim. It's not talking about like a council of gods, separate gods. It's talking about a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who's in perfect, eternal relationship with himself. In other words, in the beginning, God existed in perfect, intimate relationship out of himself. And out of that perfect, intimate relationship with himself, he crafted the heavens and the earth. Remember that we talked about Jesus being a carpenter, a tecton? This is the same type of word. He built, he crafted, he made the heavens and the earth, but he did it out of relationship. Now, watch this. Oh, by the way, we know that Jesus is intimately involved in creation because of John 1.1. You probably read this. In the beginning was the word. Who's the word? 
In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Anytime somebody tries to explain the Trinity, I'm like, did it, did it, did it. No matter how you try to explain it, it's just hard to figure out because it's one of the mysteries of a God who's infinitely bigger than we are. He has more dimension than we do. How are you going to figure that out? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So Jesus is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and everything was made through him, and without him, nothing was made. He was there in the Trinity creating before he was born by a Virgin Mary. Let that sink into your brain. Because he created time for us, he can step in and out of it if he wants to. Verse 2, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. I just prayed this a moment ago. Holy Spirit, hover in this place like you hovered over the waters of the deep, right? Okay, this is not a great translation. The word hover is the word rahaf, and it actually means Something a little different. Do you remember that first feeling you had when you fell in love and that person walked in the room? Do you remember that feeling? Do you remember how your heart went like that? This word means that. This word means to flutter. It means to flutter with love. In fact, it means to be moved by love. So this sentence is ruach Elohim Rachaf. Ruach means the spirit. Elohim is this infinite relational God. And Rachaf is moved with love. So the spirit of this God who's in perfect relationship with himself, when he's in perfect relationship with himself, he doesn't need anything. He's completely self-sustained. He's not lonely. He didn't do any of this because he needed to do it. He was perfectly fine and happy in his own relationship. But his heart was moved with love. His heart moved with love over the surface of the waters. What do you do when your heart's moved with love? Do you just sit there and like, I'm in love on the inside. When I am in love, I kiss. I cuddle. I make babies. (laughs) When I was a teenager, I wrote reams and reams of poetry and songs, and I was just trying to express, I'm so in love, i got to put it to music. We're designed to express it. We're designed for our hearts to be moved in love and then for something to come out of it. What happened when the infinite God, who's in perfect unity with himself, in intimacy with himself, when his heart was moved, he had so much love that he had to express it. This is what he did. I'm so in love. I'm so moved. Let there be light. That's how he expressed love. Now, this is not well translated either. So let there be light. That sentence is in the justive tense. We always think about God as being like, Sitting on his throne is like this commanding king, and he has a scepter in his hand, and he says, Let there be light. Let there also be creatures in the water. 
crawling things on the ground. That's not how this happened at all. The Joseph tense is permissive. In fact, it's encouraging. The Joseph tense is relational. So in the Joseph tense, you don't command a thing. You relate to it and encourage it. So it doesn't mean let there be light. It means light. Look at this. He spoke to light before it existed. He related to the thing before it existed. Light exists. Light exists. This is the difference between our God and any other God. Every other false God sits on their throne of lies and bosses the whole world around. The way that our God creates is through relationship. He creates through relationship for relationship. He related to light before it existed. And in relating to it, speaking to it, made it exist. Does anybody else get their mind blown just by hearing that? Can you imagine that? Okay. Are you not? He speaks to things that are not as though they are. He relates to light before light exists. Do you remember in Psalm 139, David's talking about this. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. He says this, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. This is David saying, you knew me before I existed. This is what I'm trying to tell you. God is faith incarnate. If faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, God as was actually exercising if faith when he created. He spoke to a substance that didn't even exist yet, and it made it exist. And this is the exact same way he made you in your mother's womb. There was nothing. It was an empty void. And the spirit of the living God hovered over the waters of your mother's womb, moved with love, and he knew you before you existed. And he said, Jorah, exist. And what made her exist was that he related to her before she existed. It was from relationship that he made her. And that's why the only way she will ever be happy is if she returns to relationship. She was created from relationship for relationship. Judah exists. So people wonder why I have a girl named Judah. Because she's like the first one ever. Because Jennifer got pregnant, and I was convinced I could only have sons. <laughs> and I was starting to get, like, this worried feeling. Like, I'm going to have a daughter. I don't, know what to, I don't know what to do with daughters. What do I do with a daughter? And I went to sleep one night as I was asking God who this child inside of my wife was, and he gave me a dream of this blonde-haired little girl, and her name was Judah. I also didn't know I could make a blonde-haired little girl. So when Judah came out and she was a blonde-haired, precious, beautiful little girl, her name was Judah. How was it that God was able to give me a dream that I was going to have a little girl who had blonde hair named Judah unless he knew that blonde-haired girl named Judah before he ever made her? He knew her. And then he spoke. And when he related to her, she existed. Okay, is this a different perspective on the creation story? Are you getting what I'm saying? 
Intimacy is at the heart of every created thing. Now, the next thing God did is he did something really different. He began to create the creatures of the earth. And when he created them, he spoke to something different. He spoke to the substance through which they would navigate life. He spoke to the substance that would sustain them. So when he was going to create sea creatures, what did he speak to? He spoke to the water. He said, let the waters bring forth or swarm with living creatures. He spoke to the thing they would navigate. Sea creatures navigate life through water. That's what they live in. You take water away and they don't live anymore, right? It's what sustains them. When he created flying creatures, guess what he spoke to? He spoke to the, the air. Let the sky. Why? Because that's what they navigate through. When he spoke to land creatures, when he spoke to uh, uh, plants, he spoke to the earth. Why? Because that's how they navigate through life, and that's what sustains them. God begins speaking to the element that sustains the creatures as well as the creature. Now, mind blow again. What did God speak to when he made man? He spoke to himself. Why? Because man would navigate life through God. Because man cannot be sustained through any other substance but God. I'm totally geeking out as I'm even talking about it. And then he did something even more intimate. When Jennifer and I were, were, were uh, engaged and we were going to get married, her dad was completely cool with me speaking to her, but he wanted me to keep my hands off of her. So instead of just speaking to man, God used his hands and he formed him. And then he breathed upon him. Man was created in the most intimate way of any creature on earth. Why? He was created from intimacy with God. He was created from intimacy with his sustaining creator. The thing, the person through which he would navigate life. What you are created from is what you're created for. If you're created from intimacy, then you're created for intimacy. And I have news for you. You will never be satisfied until you find it. This is why Jesus Christ is the greatest worship leader who ever lived. Because he healed the broken thing in the heart of humanity. That we cannot navigate life without intimacy with our Father. Nothing will sustain us. You will try every drug there is in order to fix the brokenness in your heart. You'll try shopping. You'll try love. You'll try the the drug of accumulation and consumerism. You'll try real drugs. You'll try sex. You'll try porn. You will try gossip. You'll try controlling other people. You will try every single thing until finally you realize that you were not made for many of those. And so none of them can sustain you. You were made from intimacy with God. And so only intimacy with God will sustain you. Man. Thank you. Was that Andrew? I like you, man. So this is what we lost in the fall. 
This is what we lost. This is our birthright. This is your birthright. Your birthright is intimacy with the God that made you from himself. That's your birthright. And we sell it for bowls of beans all the time, just like Esau did. I think I'd rather do this. I don't know. Intimacy with God or I'll take. We do it all the time. But this is exactly what Jesus Christ came to heal. Jesus Christ lived in perpetual unity with his father. That's why he was able to do everything that he did. People would follow him around and go, how did you do that? And, and his answer is, I only do what I see my father doing, and I only say what I hear my father saying. That's his answer. So look, this is John 12, 49 through 50. I don't speak on my own authority. The father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. Anybody else know that his commands lead to eternal life? Well, then why don't we listen? So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. No wonder he said such wise things. Can you imagine if I just quit saying stupid things and only said the things that my Father told me to say? Then you would really not want me to leave. <laughs> Look at this. John five nineteen through 20. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. In other words, Jesus is saying, even I require intimacy with the Father. Jesus required intimacy with the Father to be able to do what he did and say what he said. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. He just healed somebody. Then you'll truly be astonished. Remember this. Intimacy is potent, and this is what Jesus is talking about. How is Jesus able to have power over the natural realm? He walked on water. Has anybody tried that lately? Have you walked on water without it being frozen? That doesn't count in Alaska. It doesn't count. I drove on water, brother. Did Jesus drive on water? No. No, have you ever walked on wet water, huh? Can you walk? No, he did, he did that because he had perfect intimacy with his father. Intimacy produces power. Why could, he, why could he talk to storms and they were stilled? Because he was intimate with his father and intimacy produces power. How is it that he was able to speak to demons and they were cast out of people? Legions of demons. How is it that he was able to step his foot on the shore and demons would come screaming down and throw themselves in submission at his feet because he walked in intimacy with his father? And intimacy produces power. How could he lay hands on people and they were healed? He spit in mud and he put it on people's eyes and they could see again. Put his fingers in people's ears and they could hear again. Why? Because he walked in intimacy with his father. And he'd go, okay, father, this guy's deaf. What do I do about it? And his father, he just sees a picture in his head. Stick your fingers in his ears. He's healed. You ever heard of Oswald Chambers? This crazy dude. This guy was so crazy. He did crazy stuff all the time. Somebody came up with this huge uh, uh, stomach tumor one time, and Oswald Chambers punched him in the stomach. And the dude coughed up the tumor, and he was healed. <laughs> I guess he must have seen the father. God's like, only way this type come out is not by fasting. It's by punching. <laughs> I don't know. Jesus walked around doing stuff like this all the time. How was he able to heal hearts? How was he able to forgive sin? 
How is he able to, the greatest miracle of all, lead multitudes, the world, back into intimacy with his father? Because he walked in intimacy with his father. And it produced power. What was the Last Supper about? The Last Supper, Jesus is sitting around with his disciples and he begins to break bread and say, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And he passes wine and says, this is my blood poured out for you. He's teaching them communion. The word communion means to live life together. He's teaching them, this is how you come into intimacy with the Father. His very last lesson on earth. This is how you walk in intimacy with the Father. Now I'm going to show you what I mean. He goes to the cross and his body is broken and his blood is poured out and he does the impossible. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. And the wages of sin is death. We've been broken off from intimacy with God because of our own sin but the free gift of God. His salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus did it. He didn't just stretch up his hands, the the line of the tribe of the upraised hand. And he didn't just stretch down his hands, he stretched out his hands. And he healed the intimacy of heaven and earth. He reconciled the intimacy of God and his children. Colossians 1, 19 through 22 says this. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you. This is verse 21. That's in the Bible. This includes you who were once far away from God. If you were once far away from God, show me your hand. The rest of you were born saved or still far away from God. Today's your day, buddy. You don't have to be far away from God. He loves you. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Not one of us has not had evil thoughts and actions. It's impossible. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. That's intimacy. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's how you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Because you're welcome there. Because you've been cleansed. Because you've been forgiven. Because your birthright's been given back to you. Now, that's the greatest worship leading ever. That's amazing. That's my hero. That's who I study. That's who I love. We're singing about Jesus just a little while ago. Do you know that I didn't cry before I got saved? Like my crier was broken. My, my heart was stiff. It was hard. I cry like at the drop of a hat. Like he just starts singing, Jesus, we love you. And I'm like, I do. I do love him. He's, he's the one my heart adores. No, don't let him see me crying. Because my heart is just in love with the God who loved me. Now let's go back to Sermon 1. Do you remember the very first sermon 
Seven weeks ago, when we first started this, we started speaking out of uh, Revelation chapter 3, and we're talking about the church of Laodicea, remember? This is the lukewarm church. I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. The only thing in the whole Bible that makes God say, that makes me want to throw up, is somebody who's, who's who's not passionate about him. They're just not interested in that intimacy. They're okay with fire insurance. Jesus did not come just to get you into heaven. Jesus died on the cross to get you to the Father because he loves you. So Jesus loved you so you can love him. He, He did this for intimacy, not just so that you could walk around the Elysian fields and sniff the flowers. Even if it does smell like Christmas, you were not saved to be in heaven. You were saved to be with your Father. So, so, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Look at this again. This is a God who's, who's trying to be re-involved in intimacy with his people. Behold, I'm, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That's communion. Joined in life together. That's intimate relationship. To him who overcomes or is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. He's talking about sitting in a place of intimacy with God, crawling up on the lap of your God. And because it's a throne, it's not just a place of intimacy. It's a place of power. Intimacy always inherently carries power. That's why he didn't say, I'll give you the right to sit with me on my rocking chair. Because rocking chairs don't inherently carry power. Thrones do. Get it? So I was in uh, Alabama with my family, and we were serving at a church there. And the pastor hired me because he wanted revival at the church. And this church was Methodist. I don't know how much you know about the Methodist Church, but the Methodist Church was born out of the Great Awakening, so it was born in revival. The Methodist Church used to be a spirit-filled church, but most of the time, it's, it's much more mainline now, and, and they typically are pretty dry. Not always, but typically pretty dry. So they wanted a move of God. So I came into the place, and I just started teaching them all the stuff I'm teaching you guys. All the same stuff. I mean, some... Mostly the same stuff. And they're just absorbing and absorbing and absorbing and absorbing. I'm teaching them. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We've got a God who wants intimacy with us. We've got a God who wants to be close to us. He wants to be close to you more than you want to be close to him. What would happen if we wanted to be close to him as much as he wants to be close to us? And then I start teaching them this scripture. This is a powerful scripture. Psalm 22, verse 3. Yet you are wholly enthroned upon the praises of your people, Israel. What that means is our praise actually builds a throne for the kabod. Our praise builds a throne for the glory of God to come be seated on. We've got a God who stage dives on humanity. Have you ever seen any of those, any of those videos or movies like where the fat dude decides he's going to stage dive and everyone just moves? <laughs> Imagine God stage diving on humanity if humanity didn't put its hands up. So this builds a throne for the Lord to come and to be seated on. Some versions say a seat of honor. The Japanese version actually says a, 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 a comfy chair. 
I, I have a friend who's like six, he's, I think he's six five and he weighs 360. And, and back in the day when we were poor, we had uh, hand me down tables and hand me down chairs. And every time he came over to dinner, I would have to test the chairs. And, to, and so I could give him the one he could sit in because he broke so many of my chairs because the dude weighed 350 pounds. And our chairs were like junk. So I ended up with all these chairs that were kindling because I didn't have a seat that was big enough for his hiney. What would happen if God showed up and we didn't provide a seat that was big enough for him? He's not going to do it. He's only going to show up and sit in the seat the size that we provide for him. You get as much of Jesus as you want. Our praise provides a throne for that, right? So I'm, I was doing this as a, as a call to worship. We we're about to go into worship. And I was thinking, how can, I, how can I kind of demonstrate what this looks like? So I got one of the other pastors to dress up like Jesus, you know, with the hair and the robe and the beard and the whole deal, and, and sneak around to the back. And he was outside, and we'd closed the double doors to the back of the church. So I'm, I'm, I'm teaching them, the Lord's enthroned on the praises of your people. How much Jesus do you want? And donk, 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 he, he bangs on the back door. And I'm like, did somebody just knock on the back door? And usually the doors are open, so everyone's like, huh, huh, huh. And I was like, ah, don't, don't worry about it. And I just keep talking. He goes, boom, 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 and he hits it again. And I was like, I think they're locked. Would somebody get up and, and open the doors? Is somebody out there? So one of the guys in the back gets up and pops open those back doors, and Jesus walks into the church. He just starts walking down the center aisle of the church. And I'm like, Jesus! And I jump down off the platform, and I run to the aisle, and I throw my arms around him, and we're backpatting and loving each other. Jesus, so good to see you, Zach. I love you, buddy. And I'm walking him down the aisle, and I'm introducing him to people. And I'm like, hey, you know Sarah, and you know Jim over here. You haven't met Bob yet, but we're working on that. And, that, you know... <laughs> And I bring him up to the platform, and I'm like, Jesus, it's so good that you're here. We love you so much. Um, would you be interested in sticking around? We were just about to actually, we're just about to worship. We're just about to praise you. And he's like, well, yeah, that'd be awesome. And I go, great. And I reach into my pocket, and I pull out this little dollhouse chair. And I put it on the ground. And I go, all right, go ahead and be, be enthroned on the praises of your people. <laughs> and Jesus, and Jesus like looks at it and he looks at me and he's like, you mean sit on that? And I was like, yes, Lord, be enthroned upon the praises. I was a young pastor. <laughs> I realized this was stupid, but I did it, okay? Be enthroned. You're like, I can't believe you did this in church. Be enthroned upon the praises of your people. And, he, and he's like, seriously, you want me to sit on that? And I'm like, yes, Jesus, be enthroned. And he looks at his watch, and he goes, you know, I think I got another thing. I'm sorry. I wish I could stick around. And I'm like, are you sure? I mean, we really love to have you. He's like, uh, I mean, I, I, I wish I could, but I can't stick around. And I was like, okay, everybody say goodbye to Jesus. And Jesus got down and starts walking down the aisle out the door. And you should have seen the look on the congregation's face as Jesus walks by him, and they're going, <laughs> Then I pick up the little chair, and I say, people of God, the word says that the Lord is enthroned upon the praises of his people. How much Jesus do you want? How much Jesus do you need? I don't know about you, but I, I want more than that. I, I, I need Jesus 
more than this. I need more intimacy with God than this. In order for me to navigate life, to sustain me, I need more Jesus than that. How about you? And a miracle happened. They just believed me. They just believed. They started worshiping like they wanted him to stage dive. They were like, bring it right here. We want you, Jesus. And over the weeks, it's like their passion just stirred and grew and increased. And it was like they were letting themselves fall in love with the God who loved them first. And something incredible happened. So first of all, this is a Methodist church, okay? So there was, there was, there was a bunch of people on staff were filled with the Holy Spirit, but like they never talked about the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and by the way, I didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. I was just talking about Jesus. But as we began to worship, you could feel the atmosphere change. Something changed. Something changed in the people. Something changed in the atmosphere of the church. You could feel like a gravity of spiritual power began, began to come into the room. And then people began to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like old ladies that have been Methodists their entire life began like, they're speaking in tongues. And the ushers are coming down and going, what do we do? This person's speaking in tongues. I'm like, I didn't tell them anything about tongues. I, that's, I'm not focused. I don't, I, don't, I don't focus on that stuff. I focus on Jesus. If he wants to give a gift, he can give a gift. That's none of my business. People started falling down. Okay, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes on somebody and they just, like your body's weak, you know? So it's like, uh, I'm shaking. Gabby was talking about that. That's why the Quakers called themselves the Quakers. They thought that they, like, he's the God of shaking people. Because he would come close and they'd be like, whoa. Well, sometimes he comes close and somebody just goes, bloop. We, I was leading worship a couple years ago with my wife, and we were having a night of worship, and it was so powerful. And, and, and I, I heard God say, lay your hands on your wife. So I just came over behind her, and I didn't even touch her. I got close to touching her, and she just went, and she hit her head off my guitar, bong, and laid there on the ground. And, I, and I, you know, I'd been leading worship. Most of the people had their eyes closed. So I walk over, and I look at her, and she's smiling. So I'm like, eh. and I go back and I, I go back to, to leading worship. The thing is, the congregation only heard gong. And then they saw Jennifer on the ground and they saw me go over and look. And so they thought, because I was always like spinning around in circles and stuff. They thought I conked her with my guitar and knocked her out and just came back. Hallelujah. <laughs> the spirit of the Lord is in this place. <laughs> So God started to do stuff like that, which they were not accustomed to. That wasn't the greatest miracle. God started to heal people. We weren't talking about healing people. There was a lady that was on our worship team who was a beautiful young lady. She was 25 years old, but for some reason she had terrible teeth. And she was just humiliated and grieved because the dentist said she had to have all of her teeth out. She's all 25. We're in the middle of worship one day and she starts getting all excited and God gave her a new, not gold, a new set of real teeth on the platform. I saw it. New teeth. I never heard of that. We weren't even laying hands on her. We weren't even praying for that. We were just in the presence of God and intimacy produces power. 
There was a lady that had cancer that had like this tumor sticking out, like a huge tumor sticking out in her neck. And the lady who was in charge of the prayer ministry, she came up for prayer and, and they called together. She called them prayer team B. Prayer team B was a bunch of little girls in like all their little dresses and their bows in their hair and their just cuteness. And prayer team B comes up and it, just toddling up in their just beautiful, wonderful purity. And they, this little girl goes over and lays her hand on this lady and says, Jesus, would you heal her just because you love her? And that thing right in front of everybody, which, and it was gone. Like everybody saw that. There was a girl who was deaf and we were doing a cross exchange. And she wrote down her deafness. It was her or her mom wrote down her deafness on this card and brought it up to nail it to the cross. And the first thing that girl ever heard in her life was the sound of hammer blows as the word deafness was nailed to the cross. Now, look, I, I'm not the, I, I, don't, I don't understand everything. There's some people that believe that every person should be healed every time. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't always get it. I don't pretend to get it. I know sometimes we pray for something and it happens. Sometimes we don't pray for something and it happens. And sometimes we pray for something for years and years and years and years, and God's timing isn't there yet. I don't want you to begin to develop a religious perspective about how and why people get healed. All I want you to understand is where there's intimacy with Christ, there's power for stuff. And he can do whatever the heck he wants. The Bible doesn't talk about what God can't do. It only talks about what he can do. Right? People were delivered. I was in worship one time and this lady started manifesting. She got delivered of a demon right there on the spot. Why? Because the spirit of God was in the room. And the place started to grow. So we started, when I got there, it was about 800 people. And please don't hear me saying it had anything to do with me. Because all I did was tell them the truth of the word. They're the ones that believed it. They're the ones that did something about it, right? They started with 800 people. The course of like three, four months, they had 1,600 people. And then four months, they had 2,400 people. And I know some of you are thinking, I mean, I know we get into this kind of perspective that numbers don't matter, brother. Okay, well, that's probably why Jesus told us that uh, the Bible tells us that 3,000 got saved on the day of Pentecost. That's probably why the Bible tells us that Jesus fed 5,000 with the fishes and loaves. Numbers don't matter, right? Numbers don't matter, but every one of those numbers is a human being that God wants to have intimacy with, right? So if humans can be counted, that number matters. It matters. And the miracle was not that it grew. The miracle was salvation. That's the greatest miracle of all, the restoration of intimacy between God and his people. And the people who were getting saved. Oh man, you should have seen the ladies are with the altar workers. I don't know if you've ever seen this. If you've ever been to church that they have like a modesty cloth, just in case someone bends over and their underwear stick out or something like that. You can put them on or they fall down. Some people would fall out and they cover them up with, well, they had these modesty cloths and no one ever bowed down and no one ever fell down. So they never had to use them. Well, this stripper comes in and she's wearing clothes that looks like she's been walking the streets because that's all she had. And she heard that there was a God that was showing up at this place. So this stripper comes in and she wants to meet Jesus and she gets convicted by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And she comes and throws herself down at the altar. And there's so much thong sticking out. 
that the old ladies are like, <laughs> and they're like, can't find enough modesty cloths because <laughs> they just wore what she had. And who cares that her thong was sticking out? She met Jesus. Drug dealers and addicts and businessmen and musicians, people that need Jesus. I have a young friend that I started to disciple. He got saved in prison. He came out of prison. When he came out of prison, his wife had become a prostitute while he was in prison. And she didn't want to have anything to do with him because she actually liked the lifestyle. So his heart was broken and he loved his wife, but he didn't want to divorce her. He wanted to believe God for his marriage. So we started praying for his wife's salvation. I want to tell you, one of the most beautiful things is to look out in the congregation and see this man beside his wife worshiping Jesus together. Because his intimacy with God was healed. And then her intimacy with God was healed. And then their intimacy with each other was healed. That's the miracle. That's what God can do. Where there's intimacy, there's power. I told you guys about North Fort Worth campus. I love this campus. And I brag about it all the time because what God did was so powerful. It's the fastest growing, biggest campus of its type in America. We had 7,500 attendants, 14,000 people that were showing up. We couldn't fit them all at the same time, so people came every other week. And it only seated 1,200 people. The greatest miracle of all of that is that it was a video campus, which means the pastor was never, ever present there preaching. But God was present there. We would just worship and then put on a video, and people came because the presence of God was in the house. We baptized 600 people one day. You know why? They just believed. You guys okay? Now let's read this with fresh eyes, Revelation 3, 20 through 21. Here's Jesus. I'm not telling you he's not here, but I am telling you he can be here even more. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, can anyone sense the knocking of the Lord? Can you sense the desire of the Lord for greater intimacy with his people? Can anyone, can you sense the desire of the Lord for your heart, for your neighbor's heart, for this? Listen, Anchorage isn't that big. What kind of impact could a church make that went after Jesus in a town this size? Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, anyone hears my voice, anyone at all, if there's anybody out there who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I will have intimacy with you. To the one who is victorious, who overcomes lukewarmness. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, intimacy and power, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne in intimacy and power. 
This is the core need of humanity. It's what we were designed for and from. This is our sustenance. That's why Jesus says this in John 15, 9 and 11. He says, I've loved you even as the Father loved me. Then he says this, remain in my love. What's he talking about? He's talking about intimacy. I've loved you even as the Father loved me. Remain in my love. Then verse 11 says this, I have told you these things for a reason so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. You know what he's saying? I love you just the same way the Father loved me. Now come into intimacy. The reason I'm telling you this is because this is where your joy comes from. Does anybody know anyone else who needs joy? Probably not you, probably someone you know. (laughs) This is where your joy comes from. Anybody know, uh, anybody know anyone, any neighbors who need joy, have anxiety, are frustrated, lonely, depressed? The cure for these things is intimacy with the living God. It's what you were created from and for. And it's the only thing that can sustain you and it's the only way you can navigate life. Remain in my love. This is the only antidote to sin. It's the antidote to loneliness. It's the antidote to despair. It's what we're made for. It's what we're made from. And this is our fulfillment. This is our strength. This is our sustenance. This is what we come from. Intimacy. Now, now you know. When we get to heaven and we're standing at the gate of God and God says, why didn't you? And you say, I didn't know. I'm going to stand right there and say, he knew, I told him. (laughs) I told him everything. I went to the very beginning. I told him everything. Now you know. Just like that church in Alabama, what happens next is up to you. How much God do you want? How much do you need? He's standing at the door knocking. He adores you. Jesus Christ came to heal intimacy with you so that he could draw you up into a much bigger throne than this one. So that you could sit with him in intimacy and power. But here on this earth, your praises enthrone him. Your love and your worship enthrone him. How much do you want? I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Just ask him, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you would hover over this room just like you hovered over the waters of creation. 
your heart aflutter with love, moved with love. And even now in this room, we ask that you would speak new love into the hearts of your sons and daughters. We ask, Lord, by your spirit, you would draw us into a deeper love with you. And we ask, God, that you would help us in our frailty to respond. Yes. I hear you at the door. I can sense the knocking. I'll open the door. Come in and eat with me, God. Come in and eat with me, God. I want to eat with you. Come and have intimacy with me, God. I pray, Lord, that there would be a holy jealousy that would begin to stir. Come and be with me, God. This is my birthright. You called me son. You called me daughter. I want my birthright, Lord. And if you don't know Jesus and if you've never met him before, I want to tell you something. The reason you're alive right now is because the God of the universe spoke to you before you ever existed. He related to you before you ever existed. He called you into relationship and life through intimacy. And you're not ever going to be happy. You'll never be joyful. You'll never really be fully sustained until you know the God who made you for himself. And this is what his son came to do because he loves you. Because he loves you. Now, if you want to step into a relationship with him and you've not known him before, just come here. Just come here. And if you just want to know him better, come here. Just come here. If you want to be more intimate with this God, just come here. Just come right here and ask him. Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would give them their heart's desire. Your word says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. People of God, as you delight yourself in the Lord, he becomes the desire of your heart. Lord Jesus, we submit ourselves right now to this desire. And Lord, all over this room, I pray, Lord, that you would draw us into a new and a deeper intimacy. Here we are, Lord. We sense you knocking, and we've responded, Lord Jesus Christ. So right now, as we worship, I, I'm just going to ask you guys, 
as you worship, just allow the Lord to speak to you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us with a greater passion than we've ever known, one that will not burn out, one that will not fade away, and one that will only drive us into your arms to love you and to love the people you put us around. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Let's worship, Billy. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.